0: Hello and welcome to Bike Tales. In this episode, I'm meeting a man who is well aware of the power that stories have to transform our transportation habits. He's an urban planner who set up Bike Minds, an event where ordinary people share their funny, moving or everyday experiences of cycling. It's bike advocacy in disguise. People come for entertainment, but walk away feeling inspired to try cycling. I'm catching up with Matt Pinder today on the streets of Toronto. I can't be there in person, but as he strolls in the summer sunshine, I chat with him remotely. It's actually the first episode I've recorded where a bike hasn't been present. But it's perhaps a timely reminder that cyclists are often keen walkers too. Transportation engineers, or urban planners, seem to be very much of the moment. It's a job that most of us didn't know existed a few years ago. And so I wanted to know where Matt developed his love of transport.
1: I think there's a few things. One is that I loved playing (laughs) SimCity. I had SimCity 3000 I think it was on my computer and I, I spent hours, I can still play that soundtrack in my head, I can pull that up and hum it. I also really loved cycling and I had a job at the edge of town that was still like 13 kilometers away and when I was old enough like 14 or 15 I would ride my bike to that job and I absolutely loved being able to do that.
0: When I hear Matt talking about the freedom he had on his bike as a teenager, I'm both thrilled and a little surprised because this kind of travel independence was becoming a rarity even when he was a kid. Was he lucky with the roads near him or did he just have very relaxed parents?
1: I was biking on sketchy shoulders of very fast roads. I don't even think I would do it as an adult now. I'm very surprised that my parents even were okay with it at the time. But You know, I'm here. I had a good time.
0: Despite Matt's early love of active transport, working in urban planning wasn't a done deal because, like most of us, when he left school, he'd never even heard of it, let alone come across anyone who was doing it for a job.
1: I didn't even know urban planning was a thing when I was growing up. I went to a high school where there was no courses in it. I knew I had this interest in transportation, but I was kind of stubbornly avoiding it because my dad is a civil engineer and I wanted to forge my own path. So I went into mechanical engineering and I was studying like physics and things that move and gears and you know all that all that stuff that comes to mind. And I think halfway through that degree I started to realize that I was inevitably being pulled into civil engineering and transportation engineering in spite of my reluctance and I worked for a year as a mechanical engineer but I spent that whole year trying to change fields. And I eventually had an opportunity to take an internship at Metrolinx, which operates and plans the regional rail in Toronto. I joined as an intern. I took a giant pay cut to do it, but I knew it was the path I wanted to be on. As soon as I started the job, I knew it was the right decision because I met urban planners for the first time in my life. And these were people who I just like instantly got along with. They knew all this stuff that I was really interested in. And I haven't really looked back from there.
0: Matt was so keen on cycling that early on in his career, he decided to get some first-hand experience doing a side hustle as an Uber delivery cyclist.
1: I was 25. I had a good job in the city, but I had just moved there and I was ambitious and didn't have a lot to fill my evenings. So honestly, I think it was a combination of curiosity and having a bunch of free time. I downloaded the app. I started doing it, and honestly, it felt, like, it felt like playing a game. It was honestly pretty fun. I just kind of like sit in a park for a while, and then my phone dings and then tells me to bike somewhere, and then bike somewhere else, and you know, I love cycling, I love exploring cities by bike, so the payment at the end was honestly an added bonus. I did this for a few months, and I really got to see a different side of the city, because I was taking places that I didn't bike to on a regular basis, to different high-rise towers, I had to find different ways to cycle safely to these places. It gave me a new
0: perspective, for sure. Matt's cycling horizons were widened further by a three-week trip to the Netherlands for a masters course in 2017, where he attended a bicycle-themed storytelling event. I remember there were stories about the
1: weirdest, coolest things, like these two guys who had built a wooden bicycle and then biked across Europe with it, like things you just couldn't imagine that kind of stretch your Horizons of what's possible and I enjoyed that event so much when I got back to Toronto I noticed that there was such cool stuff happening on bikes But the discourse at the time and it continues to be this way was Typically skewed negative like what's missing what needs to happen the uphill battle for cycling advocacy But at the same time there was all this really good cool bike culture stuff happening already in Toronto So I kind of approached a friend of mine with this idea and she was up for testing it out we committed to doing a four-part monthly series at a bicycle cafe in toronto's west end and we ended up with a full house and the next three events we had to hold wait lists because they would register out in the hour after we released tickets so this concept of really sharing positive stories about people cycling really caught on fast
0: the positive power of storytelling can be seen in more than just ticket sales, as bike minds found out as they followed up with people after the event.
1: When you hear about someone who has children who bikes to Ikea with their unique cargo bike, you might have thought that's not even possible before you meet someone who does it. But then there's someone in the flesh who's talking about it, and you start to stretch your horizons. And we did some follow-up surveys after those first four events, and we found some really promising things like, After attending an event, people are more likely to promote cycling to a family member or a friend. And people left thinking much more positively about cycling and its potential than when they arrived at the event.
0: Matt knew that he wanted to specialise in the design of active transportation infrastructure. And he sought out a place where he could do that. He moved to Ottawa three years ago and now works for WSP Canada as a project coordinator on the Active Transportation and Complete Streets team a job which often means shaking up the status quo and pushing people outside their comfort zone.
1: Building it differently takes a lot of extra effort. And so I'm kind of at the centre of that effort on projects of asking questions like, why can't we do it this way? Here's a new guideline or a standard. Can we apply this instead? How do we consider universal accessibility in this and way different trade-offs between you know, the transit rider and the pedestrian and the person cycling and the person driving.
0: For Matt, there's no question, though, that challenging the status quo is worth the effort. He knows the benefits it can bring in all areas of life.
1: I think we're heading down a path with the climate crisis, the housing affordability crisis, where we really need to think differently about how we design cities and how we design communities. We spent the last 50 years basically designing everything around the car. As someone who moved to the suburbs without a car and then bought a car so I could contrast the two experiences, I know it is infinitely easier to live with a car in these environments. And we desperately need to reduce people's dependence on driving, people's amount of driving, we need to improve people's health, and so when you consider all these big problems, and you look at what solutions are available, the bicycle emerges as almost like a silver bullet solution. There's just so much good that can come from a city that really embraces cycling for all ages and abilities.
0: Talking to Matt, it's very clear he's passionate about his profession. But I did pause to wonder if it's all a little bit much for his wife sometimes.
1: My wife is very used to me just like stopping in my tracks and pulling out my phone and taking a picture of like a sidewalk or a curb, something that the average person cares very little about. I'm always in transportation engineer mode looking at things and wondering why this was done this way and that was done that way. She's supportive of our random stops or random photos and I'm very excited I'm going to be going to Europe in a couple of weeks into Glasgow and Leeds and then Northern Italy. And so I'm excited to kind of get a change of scenery and fill my head with all these new ideas.
0: As a Brit who's been doing a lot more cycling in Canada than I did in my home country, there's one really big difference with being on the road in North America compared to Europe. One thing that makes being a pedestrian or a cyclist that bit more dangerous and scary. And so I'm not surprised that Matt flags it up as being one of his biggest frustrations he has with motorised transport.
1: We've really truly failed to regulate the growth in the size of vehicles. I'm reminded of it all the time when I walk around and I see people commuting to work in giant F-150s. I have no hard feelings against the people who buy these vehicles because they're allowed to. I have all the hard feelings against the regulators who, despite emerging evidence that these bigger vehicles are more likely to seriously injure or kill people walking and cycling, Nobody has done anything to pull back or to add more safety features to people outside the car. If you compare that to Europe, vehicles are required to undergo testing in Europe related to when a vehicle strikes a pedestrian. And so the outside of the vehicle is designed so that a pedestrian kind of goes up and over the car in a collision, which is much much less likely to kill someone or seriously injure them. Compare that to Canada and the US where we don't have a single test for new vehicles related to someone outside the car. So a five-star safety vehicle guarantees almost the safety of someone inside the car in a collision, but does nothing for someone outside the car. And you look at some of the, the sizes of the front ends of these new vehicles, and it's no surprise that you know pedestrian and cyclist death rates on our roads are not really getting any better. If I could change one thing, I would immediately start regulating the use of these vehicles. Trucks are helpful for people who have businesses and need to haul things, but If you're towing a boat once a year, you should probably just be renting a pickup truck and not driving it to the grocery store and to work every day.
0: When I finished my call with Matt, I turned to Twitter and I'm not surprised to see that moments after we hung up, he posted photos of a street design feature that caught his eye. Design is a powerful thing that can make our lives better or worse. But street design, which surrounds us every day, is possibly the most powerful. It can affect a community's well-being, economic prosperity, and even lifespans. People like Matt are the unseen, creating the scene—the quiet heroes of our streets. Next time on Bike Tales. We break format to hear from this season's guests about their favourite places to cycle in the capital. It's nice and sort of leafy green. There's not
1: a lot of thoroughfares through there. There's like long streets that are very
0: quiet. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow along in your podcast app so you can be notified when the next episode drops. And you can join the mailing list at storysolutionsnet slash bike Bike Tales is written, produced, and presented by me, Claire Mansell, at StorySolutions.net.